Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Shiftless. Doing this one a touch different. Just rolling out a quick intro. This is actually part two of episode 20. I guess that makes it episode 21. If you haven't listened to episode 20, part one, episode 20A, or is it just episode 20 and this is 21? I don't know. We'll figure it out, but you probably want to listen to that one before this one. I will say that one is somewhat of a sponsored pitch per se. We all know you've been in bed with Redshift. I've been a fan of Redshift since even pre-production days on that yeah. stem. Do you call them Redshift Ford? <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> That's going to be a running joke. For, everything's going to be a Ferg going forward if we're if we're if we're too fanboyish over it, right? Uh, oh goodness, Gwenford. But oh, um, the uh, so Redshift did send me those art bikes. Yeah, pedals uh, as a, a demo pair. I saw a review on those. Uh, it may have been Burn Peak Express. He was talking about. Yeah, uh, he yeah yep. he did those recently yeah. too. And he was talking about how they use magnets to hold everything in, and uh, how easy it is to charge them and everything. Yeah, I, I'm interested. I want to see them in person too. So I will. I will bring some out your way yeah. at, at some point. Uh, so then, episode seven has bike packing hit the tipping point. And we demonstrate how dumb we are regard, regarding bike transmissions. Mm. And this is the episode where I talked about the Trojan horse. Mm. Brad. Wait, what are we talking about? <laughs> My bad. I feel really bad about that. You shouldn't. I know, but I do. You should not feel bra- you should you should <laughs> not feel Brad about it. <laughs> but I do. I do. Well, you know, I bet there's a bunch of people that are here in this episode that don't recall that either, and no. so now we're reminding them. I'm gonna have to go back. Go and back to, to episode that. seven. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go and back and hear how <laughs> stupid we were then. We're still stupid yeah. about the transmission, but going back to episodes, and I think we've we've probably mentioned it in every episode since then. And Man, I'm I'm still enthralled with it. I'm I'm ab- I'm absolutely fascinated by it. And Stram, you can call me Kevford. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, back to the most recent Burn Peak Express, when he did that, um, the he said exactly what I said in one of the episodes, too. He said, how is Shimano going to respond yes, to this? Yes. And I was like, no, oh that boy. That's what I'm talking So yeah. everything he touched on was what we touched on in this yeah, episode. I need to go back and listen to the episode. You really do. Maybe he stole from us. Could be. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, because yeah. rule of threes. <laughs> Oh, uh, man, so many callbacks. So, um, but along those lines, and that's what, actually, it was the it was that Barn Peak talk where he talked about uh, the transmission. It's like, you know, we need to rehash this because yeah. not everybody even knows that we talked about this stuff in the yeah. past. Obviously, even Brad doesn't know. <clears throat> Wait, what were we just talking about? And the, the, tra- the transmission itself, I am... I'm starting to go the other way, in a way. I'm I'm fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. And if one were to show up on my doorstep, I would install it and I'd try it out. No oh, ifs, yeah. ands, or buts about it. I'm going the other way of, mm, I don't think I'm going to invest in one 
right now. I think I'm going to actually let it go through a couple year cycle yeah. and see what it develops. But I want to see where Shimano goes. I re- yeah. I'm really fascinated by That's been my fascination that. since day one. That was like, right. as soon as I saw that come out, my first thought was, holy shit, what is Shimano going to do now? Like, did, you know, I think I mentioned this too. Like, did Shimano see this coming? Surely someone at Shimano realized that when they released that free to use for everybody on, right, you know, right. uh, when they when SRAM released that patent and said anybody can use this universal derailleur hanger, the UDH, that Shimano, somebody at Shimano was intelligent enough to go, they're going to backdoor this <coughs> shit. Well, you know? and I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure somewhere along the way I heard, read, saw a, a video that Shimano, yeah, the old Saint stuff. Shimano had basically done the same, attempted the same approach. Mm. Yeah, I forgot about Saint. Uh, that so was their downhill specific was, stuff. Right. Yeah. So they tried to do it on the D8 side, Yeah, is my understanding. Uh-huh. So basically they went proprietary with some sort of derailleur hanger, uh, clamp on something on mm. the Saint side. And so mm-hmm. obviously... Since Shimano had tried that approach themselves in the past, when SRAM went that direction, sure, they knew exactly what the intent was at that point. Well, that brings up a, a very valid point, because I think Saint was around in that same era, around 2016, and that's when... That was towards the end of Saint. Yeah, Saint. But, I'm, but I'm saying that's when SRAM released that Universal Derailleur I think, Hanger. Basically, I think when Saint... <clears throat> was done yeah that's when shrams i'm wondering if they that was their answer to shimano and shimano kind of went we're done with this we've kind of hit the end and shram said oh see what you're trying to do but we're going to actually do it maybe maybe yeah it's just interesting to me you can you you can definitely learn from your competitors mistakes Mm -hmm. there's no ands or buts about that uh episode eight and this was a game. This was a game changer for us, I think. Mister Tim Nipper, expert edition with Tour Divide veteran and cycling badass. Yeah, Tim Nipper, and just a genuinely sweet dude. Man, he's 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 at the top of my list of peoples. He's a sweetheart. Well, I'd, I'd even call him Timford. Every chance I got. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, hopefully, Zoe doesn't take that the wrong way. <laughs> No, he's a tremendous guy. I miss him, but I'm I'm happy for him. I am too. I would I would man, I would love for him to still be in our neck of the woods, but he's where he belongs. Yeah, and he doesn't deal with the heat very well. <laughs> very true. Yeah. Very but I think I told you before, both both of us utilize the uh the Tups uh freezer one ride. Mm. Was, but anyway. Uh episode nine. New Orleans chat, weather tools, saddle sores, and just David. I'll be honest with you, I don't remember a whole lot from this episode except talking about our buddy Dave Neves. Mr. Dave Neves. I saw a ride of his on Strava the other day. Really? Which which I haven't seen him forever, and he was in Germany, I think, like Belfast or somewhere. Well, Belfast is Ireland. Oh, my bad. I'm very geographically oriented. Uh, he was, I want to say it was Germany. I don't know. 
Hell, he was he wasn't in the Estado Unidos. Well, well maybe that. maybe that's why we haven't seen him. Maybe he's been an international traveler for a, a guy, while now. That guy, nothing surprises he, me. <laughs> maybe he's riding his bike around the world. That would not surprise me, quite frankly. It's it's unbelievable. Well, when when we're able to, we'll definitely have him on board to get caught up on oh, stuff. Oh, the Netherlands. And before that, he was in Amsterdam. And then Rosen, Rose, Rosendahl, Germany. So how, how long are, are these rides that you're seeing? Augustshot, Germany. Lingentown, Germany. I mean, are these like 10-mile rides? No. 200-mile rides? Or? Uh, so July 19th in Stolk, Germany, he did 81 miles. July 20th in M... M I can't even say that. Somewhere in Germany, he did 86 how miles. Much, how much elevation? 1,700. Okay. And then uh, the next day, 72 miles, 2,800 feet of elevation. The very next day, 87 miles, 1,800 feet of elevation. Well, he's still riding bikes. Yeah, and then the very next day, he did 128 miles with 1,800 feet of elevation. What a stud. Just out there living his life. And then, and then he did a couple of short, shorter rides, 39 miles and 17 miles yesterday in the Netherlands. This freaking, what, an, what a great guy. It looks like he's been Denmark, Denmark, I mean, Sweden. <laughs> he's staying out of the Texas heat. Yeah, Nor- Norway. <laughs> I mean, just all over the place. Uh, I'm going to start stud. following him on Strava then. What a stud. And I don't, I don't follow people on Strava, but that's one that would be fascinating. Yeah. Mr. Nipper would be as well. Yeah. So it looks like the last time he rode in Denton was June 28th. He rode 63 miles. Okay, so he was around yeah. since we've been talking about him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, episode 10, point-to-point adventures and is Brad getting old? I think we know the answer. I think to that. we figured that one out. Yeah. But maybe maybe not. So, I mean, what prompted that was your knee issues. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, you haven't done anything specific to take care of the the issues themselves outside of rest and rehabilitation for the most part. Am mm-hmm. I am I oversimplifying that? No. I think uh just I think uh my left knee was literally just an injury. Um I just and it's just, it was just taking longer for it to get over it than you were used yeah, to. As we get older, things take longer. And is to Brad heal. getting old now? Yes. <laughs> yes. So, uh, how, and it's a luxury not afforded to all. You know, it, I, uh, take, take advantage of it. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 what I tried to do is I kept trying to dip back in and go for rides, and uh, I went for a couple of rides where I was two or three miles in, and I was like, mm, not a good idea. And I turn around and come back home, and you know the younger me would would have just kept hammering through and ended up even worse injured. So then I just took a full two weeks or three weeks off the bike, and then I went for a test ride, and I was like, okay, I think I'm good. So this past Sunday I rode uh, 35 miles. Um, did a little ramble and did, did some rambling. It yeah. sounds like and uh, all was well. Good. Um, I, like I said, I'm still, you know, not super strong. And then, uh, the geared previous, or single speed geared, but the previous Tuesday I rode, uh, North shore East side, um, 
rode by myself because I showed up late because it's too hot to get there early. Um, and I had zero issues. Good. You know? It was, uh, it was nice. It was, uh, there's something just so good about being back on your home trail. Like, I didn't realize how much I miss it, you know? It's just, it's like, it's like coming home to your house and, you know, you know every corner, you know? When you've been away for a while. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Very good. Uh, episode 11. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, lump 11 and 12 together. Expert editions with Dirt Dominator, Mr. Rich Waldschmidt. Didn't enjoy talking to him at no, all. Not in the least. Not in the least. <sighs> He's such a beating. What a card. <laughs> what an absolute card. <laughs> Richford. Love that guy. <laughs> Richard. Uh, the more I talk to him, the more I realize, why don't I have more Rich in my life? You know? He's such a good guy. Uh, I, have, I, have, uh, I have spent a lot of time and a lot of miles yeah. uh, with Rich, and uh, I don't think there's ever been a foot of it or a second of it I wasn't enjoying myself. So he's definitely... Uh, He's a great guy, a yeah. lot of great insight, a lot of fantastic experience, and I, I mean, I am not, I am not overselling it. He is a badass. Yeah, yeah. 187 miles at, uh, what, 97 beats per minute. <laughs> I still, I, I still can't even get over that. Uh, episode 13, another, so we did back to back to back. Expert editions, episode thirteen, expert edition, with Chef Brad Green making us hungry. That was our recap of uh, of the dinner, the, the dinner fam, that you attended, the fam dinner that Jan right. and I attended, and just because we, I mean, we very much touched on a very similar conversation. The front half of this one, just a quick reminder for those that may not have heard that edition or not quite registering when we talk about you and Paula. Uh, setting up in the kitchen versus the full cook staff like you had last night, and yeah, give us give us the elevator pitch on what fam dinners are and how they work and how people can find them and all that good stuff. Um, well, we have a website, eat at fam, all spelled out dot com, um, and then uh, we do we host typically twice a month. We host a nine course tasting meal, tasting dinner. Uh, where we start with a crafted cocktail, homemade cocktail, um, a small charcuterie board, small charcuterie board. Who would have thought that small was the word I was going to mess up there? Um, and then we go into nine courses. Uh, everything's made from scratch. Um, and it's a secret menu. So you don't know what you're having until you get here. I think it's part of the fun. We also serve homemade breads and homemade butter. And uh, it's... Everybody that's ever been, I think, has had a fantastic time. And we have plenty of repeat customers. So It was absolutely amazing. If anybody was listening to our the first part of this and going, man, that really sounds cool. I'd like to do something like that. You want the full-blown fam experience. Uh, if you need to get more up to speed with it, revisit episode 13. Episode 14. Unbound rub, rumblings, missing cutoff, and fast food trivia. I, that was mostly us talking about uh, Peter. People, P- 
people bitching about uh, the mud at Unbound, but realistically, look what our feet, our friend Peter Roshkani yeah. actually accomplished. Our fader, favorite Slavic Peter. <laughs> Peterford. Peterford. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was also led into the next episode where we actually talked to Caleb, and who was recently back from Unbound. Yep. Episode 15, Expert Edition with Unbound gets unwound by a first-timer, our friend Caleb. Yes. But it was his first trip to Unbound. Yeah. It was super interesting to get his perceptions of... Especially after all the grumblings. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, I loved his perspective, as a matter of fact. I mean, he's... I mean, obviously, him and I ride together. Well, I mean, Calebford, so... Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, I don't even get me started yeah. <laughs> on how much I love that guy. Yeah. But uh, I just loved how he basically reverberated the same thing I was thinking and everything. I mean, we're obviously on the same page and been through a lot of shit together. But he had this same perspective. He's like, what did you expect? You know, a bunch of rallies. Well, I mean, that was, that was definitely, I think a lot of us, and we touched on it during that episode. Depending on where, where your background is coming into the event, the event, I think probably 80%, it's real easy for us to go, well, what were you expecting? Yeah. I would like to hear from, and not to beat them up, but just to get a better idea of, of where that thought process is or where that opinion, somebody that did think it was, Inappropriate? I don't. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't. I don't want to put a label on it to, that sounds judgy. I don't want to disparage anybody, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I, I and I appreciate that tremendously because I'm kind of in the same position. My opinion. I I recognize that my opinion is skewed towards my own experiences. So I can appreciate that somebody with a different experience might be coming at it from a different opinion. I just can't. I can't relate to it at this yeah. point. Is, 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 I, t- I, I get that. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not saying it's a wrong opinion. It's a written opinion I can't relate to at the moment. The most diplomatic thing I can say is if you're not comfortable doing something like that, you should go do it. Agreed. You know? Then, yes. Episode 16. Wireless breaks, Korean barbecue, and Kevin is afraid of getting lucky by the pool. <laughs> I just picked up on that. <laughs> I read that. <laughs> I read that before and didn't even place it. Sorry. So now it registers. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm so daft. The wireless brakes thing. You said that it has been done before. No, it, it somebody... hasn't. It hadn't been. It's been whiteboarded. Like yeah. we talked. Uh, Shram has said that they whiteboarded it. Somebody fleeced it out a little bit, and it was. Um, uh, and again, just just like the conversations we had, uh, that the Burn Pete guy was so gracious to mm-hmm. to rehash on our behalf. Um, the the Shram guys kind of talked about the same things that 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 we talked about when we were spitballing the concept of electronic brakes slash wireless brakes and mm-hmm. what the hurdles might be uh the 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 hurdles are the power sourcing Mm -hmm. batteries 
uh, size, weight, and uh, basically at this point with current technology, there's no advantage to be had by them or the advantage is so minimal that it doesn't uh, it doesn't supersede the drawbacks to it. How long have we heard like when batteries are get smaller, you know, and you know people talk about graphene and how we're going to have like microscopic batteries and stuff. I mean, they've been talking about that for 20 years I know, now. That's what I'm saying. Like, well, where's our jetpacks and shit? Uh, I mean, that that's the thing. Like, I think about the batteries on e-bikes. Like, why are they so big if we're, like, 20 years ago, people were saying, oh, the batteries are going to get smaller. And then you look at Teslas and how gigantic that battery pack is I and mean, how expensive the, it is. They are getting smaller mm -hmm. in that they're getting more efficient but it's not like computers where the computers get faster right you know no that's right so well and actually we've got what is it moore's law on the computer side yeah. of things 18 months or whatever we've we've kind of we've actually uh we've we've hitched we've hit the wall on moore's law until we get into quantum computing well and that's the thing so i think for both we're at that impasse where there needs to be a technology shift so we need to retro-engineer some more alien technology? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Speaking of which, the Congress, the Congress deal is today, the whistleblower is it, deal? Is it today? Yeah, I'm interested to see that. You know, that man, that's one... I want to believe it's so bad. That's my problem. <laughs> um... I, that could be a whole another episode that, that all could, into that, itself. That, that, that could be a, that could be a whole other podcast yeah, series could, all to itself. Speaking of which, I can't recommend UFO Rabbit Hole podcast enough. It's, UFO Rabbit Hole. It's so much, and it's just exactly what it sounds like. Typically, I'm not I'm not a big UFO guy. That narrow of a, for lack of a better term, conspiracy theory stuff yeah. uh, tangent. Um, I'm not saying I'm a disbeliever. I, 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 if if it comes out from these uh, congressional hearings, or if it comes out in the next year that, oh yeah, all that Roswell shit was real, and yeah, yeah. we've been, I would not be that would not be a blown away. I yeah. can see where that could, yeah, yeah. It, it could have been a conspiracy going on all this time, and that's what all this stuff. I, I wouldn't be blown away by that revelation. But I also wouldn't be blown away if it were proven. There, there's just a ruse. There's nothing out there. It's just us. I wouldn't be blown away by that revelation either. I would. If it was definitive that there was nothing else, I would be absolutely floored. I think we, if we really want to, because we don't, we don't have the Sharknado episode in here. I think we touched on that somewhat in Sharknado in. Uh, Yes, the vastness of everything and the amount of galaxies and planets and everything else that's out there. I get that the math of that, it's real easy to say there's no way we're the only thing out there. I don't disagree with that, but I, the distance and the time equation that's involved, because we're talking billions and billions and billions of years. Yeah. The actual odds of an intersection between technology capable civilizations I think even with the billions and billions 
of stars and planets out there. Once you throw time into the equation and distance, it's almost impossible for there to be that intersection without just some, and I'm, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying, because I am not a physics guy. I don't know. If, I couldn't make it through Algebra 2, okay? Physics is not my forte by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not going to pretend it is. Um, they're out there, Kevin. But I don't dispute that they're out there, but would they actually intersect with us? That's oh. that's the... I don't know. That's, I mean, that's the thing. It's, so, yeah, we do have to... There would have to be the wormholes or interdimensional travel or... And, is that stuff possible? Maybe. I don't know. I bet they have wireless brakes, too. I bet they do. And maybe wireless brakes is what takes technology over the top for everything. I think once we break through that, we probably get time travel locked down. And, I, yeah, I mean, quantum computing, wireless brakes, we're, we're off to we're the there. Smaller we're, batteries. Smaller batteries. I'm, I'm going to submit my patent tomorrow. <laughs> oh. We, that would be that would be pretty rad to invent wireless brakes and make them work and and sell our patent. <laughs> uh, episode seventeen. The, now the one thing I am going to say is whenever I have your name in the title, and mm-hmm. I, I never say Bradley, mm. and I'm not going to say Bradford in the title because that's just that's just making you too pr- promiscuous at that point. <laughs> Uh, Brad gets inspired by Alaska and Canada, training in Texas heat, and Judgment Day. Man, those guys were treated to some good weather this year, relatively speaking. Relative, uh, what, what makes Judgment Day Judgment Day? And uh, no, I'm not. I am not knocking the folks that did it because yeah. that's still a hell of an accomplishment, a hell of an effort. Uh, traditionally, what's made Judgment Day Judgment Day is the hundred plus degree heat. And uh, they had a cold front that kept it, what, 95 and below or something? Yeah. Now, that said, I mean, I rode my bike that day, and it was still steamy out there. I rode the next day, and it was it got, it got really steamy uh, towards the finish of our ride. But a cold beer in the pool after there the you ride go. was pretty there awesome. You go. So but, anybody that's listening that, uh, that did attempt Judgment Day. Yeah, kudos. Good job. Kudos. Whether you complete it or not, way to go out and give it your best. It looked and like it was really well supported as well. Like man, I love, I love all the people that rally around it and show up at trailheads and heckle. And I, if I wouldn't have had a dinner that night, uh, actually, I was planning on going to Knob Hills after my dinner because uh, Garrett Brink was going to be there, and we were going to hang out and heckle and have a beer or whatever. Um, but he. I don't know what the catalyst was because he's nursing a knee injury, but he's scheduled for a minor surgery repair. And so he figured, well, I can't hurt it anymore. So he signed up and did the 70 miler geared. I think he did geared. He did geared. Yeah. And I think he finished second. So what a freaking stud. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to guess he's got a meniscus issue is he's one of my favorite South Africans. Garrett for yeah, Garrettford. Oh, so Garrettford. <laughs> um, and along the, uh, along those lines, did you see where our friend Peterford Rosh Coneyford uh, attempted Dude, to do everything by bicycle? What a freaking stud! I, and and I feel so conflicted when he says 
you know, because he, he almost acts like he's embarrassed that he has to pull out of the the deal after 174 miles. I'm like, dude, you're a freaking stud. Calm down. Say, hey, I tried. Maybe next year. You know? Um, I was super impressed. Then I saw somebody ran every trail. Yeah, I think they've I think they've done that a couple of times. A couple of times yeah. where there's a, I think this was in the past they've had a bigger running crew for whatever reason. I just but, have I one mean, question: yeah. Who is chasing them, <laughs> and why the hell are they running? But uh, if in case there's any concern along those lines, uh, man, no, super mad props and kudos to Dorba for pulling off yeah. a hell of an event. Yeah. Um, and way to showcase all the trails. I think that's another cool thing because I think, you know, even people that uh, maybe consider themselves trail enthusiasts and stuff probably don't get to, you know, they don't they don't ride that those ten trails on a regular rotation. You know, not not that they always showcase the best ten trails or the best portions of those ten trails, but it at least showcases a little bit of the trail and and shows people where they are and stuff. So I think that's a a really cool aspect too. I, I highly encourage anyone that's even thinking about it. If, 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 if you get a little tickle in the back of your brain about it may be interesting, you just go ahead and plan right now to hit up judgment day and give it a shot next year. And if writing it does not interest you go out and, and, uh, help support it and encourage the party at, uh, at one of the trails that's most convenient to you, or maybe be a, be a shuttle driver or uh, help on a resupply or something like that. I think that would be interesting to drive somebody for Judgment Day. I would do that. That, that has potential. Yeah. That has potential. I'm, I'm going to play with some ideas. Just to see somebody just deteriorate <laughs> over 10 trails that's a, and all the personality changes and all the ebbs and flows. Yeah, you, know? you bring up, you bring, yeah, there was another thread. Yes, you know, obviously once Judgment Day happens, everybody's got an idea. Oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did this super duper yeah. crazy endurance thing and you know somebody where you, had, yeah where you run and ride yeah yeah, so, yeah so, i lurk on all those i don't ever comment because i don't have anything to offer right, but i so, read all that stuff so you know somebody was like let's do a 24-hour duathlon that's what it was so, yeah sort of where thing. you ride a lap and run a lap and you know the basically the 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 takeaway on that do trying to do a duet i'm not saying it can't be done don't get yeah. me wrong but it is, that is a herding cats scenario trying to combine runners and bike riders in the same trail going through the same finish line having the same uh neutral area or what just the the overlap you know it'll work fine for six hours but that's a carnival barker that is never put on an event no i i no i wasn't trying to take it that way i did yeah. It's it's something somebody didn't think about, and yeah. even the carnival barkers that have put if you haven't put on a twenty four hour event, yeah, you really don't know what you're yeah. getting. And uh, my guess is Foster will agree with me in that you get into hour fifteen yeah. of that scenario, at, yeah, it because I mean at that point the participants. The ones that are still going, they're they're doing the Peter thing. They're just so focused on following their foot or the next pedal. Yeah. There is the only way you can keep going is one pedal stroke at a yeah. time at that point. Yeah. And trying to make your brain work 
does not yeah. <laughs> work. So anything that complicates it yeah. uh, on the trail, through Wait, the finish am I, area. Am I running or am I riding? Yeah, oh, right, yeah. right. Yeah. It's like... That that makes me... I, I, I keep wanting... We have not mentioned this the entire podcast, uh, all of our podcasts, but the Barkley Marathons, is that still a thing or did it get exposed too much and and kind of die off? I think... I believe it's still a thing. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw updates from this year's edition Cause, of it. Because that goes on for what? It's... What's the hour cap on that? I thought I it was it, 24. It's it, no more than 48. I know that. I, I want to say it was 50 hours, though, is it? isn't it? I, I don't no. know. I, I need to look at it again. Yeah, I'm I, just wondering, because I'd never thought about from the promoter's aspect. You know, I, I mean, that guy has to, he's the one, at least in the. He's just sitting around smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee. I understand. But in the documentary, he's the one that checks their, their pages yes. when they come in. So, I mean. They have somebody coming in, you know, in 10, 20, 30, 45 minute intervals, and he's got to be there smoking a cigarette, checking their pages over the course of whatever. Well, I mean, in the past, I'm sure it's different now. In the past, there used to really only be one or two people to worry about. Well, in the documentary I watched, which was like based on 16 or 18, somewhere in that range. Maybe even before that. It was before that. It was yeah. prior to 15, if yeah. I remember correctly. There was 20-something people there running. You know? To start. But oh, yeah. It, yeah. The, they, very high attrition. Very, right. very high <laughs> attrition. So, yeah. yeah, you make it through that first attrition wave, and it, yeah. it was down to, like, six people. Yeah. And then it was down to one or two. That's sort true. Of, sort That's of thing. That's true. So, yeah, he gets through the first 12 to 24 hours, then it's... He, he can sleep and somebody will, hey, somebody's, I see a light coming sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I just hadn't thought about that aspect. I've always thought about from the competitor's aspect when I've when I watched that documentary. Because I've watched it twice. Because it's just, just, there's so many intriguing factors. I love how he does the checkpoints with the page numbers. And I think that's super creative. Super I, cool. I watched it once. I, I enjoyed it, but yeah. it was like when it first came yeah. prior, prior to fifteen, and yeah. so I don't. I remember very little detail yeah. about how everything was was structured now. And their entry fee was a white button-up shirt. Something. Yeah, something. <laughs> it's so awesome. Something super grassroots yeah. along those lines. So anyway, sorry. I, no, no, perf- perfectly fine. Uh, and that rolls us into last week's edition, episode 19, Tour de France talk, more SRAM transmission. Yeah. So we talked about it a good bit last week. Like I said, I think we've mentioned it every episode since the first Jonas Vindigo just annihilated, killed everybody. And he looked like he could do another 21 stages. So this may be controversial, but I'm not scared. Drugs? How many of those guys are on drugs now? Uh, Are we living in another era where there's about to be a wave? I'm not going to say drugs. I'm going to say enhancements. Yeah. Uh, Because with technology and physiology and Mm -hmm. everything else that's out there now, I I mean, and it could still be chemically based. Don't get me Mm -hmm. wrong. And it could still be drugs. I'm not saying it's not. Um, He put a minute and 38 seconds on the number two guy in the entire tour in in that time trial. And he's not even a time trialist. So, explain me. So, his Macaulay Culkin looking ass. 
I am not going to say anything about any individual because I. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm. I'm just talking I'm about not, the tour in general. Yeah. Let's so let let let's talk. Let's talk about it from a statistical perspective. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in the grand drug era of the '90s and aughts. Yeah. Um, the the excuse that was constantly made, and also well, even in baseball, mm-hmm. uh, was well. You had to do it to compete. No, no, no. Prior oh. to that, the technology's there. We're we're there where we know how to do nutrition and training. Sure, sure, so sure, sure. That's that's those why are all stepping stones. That's what that's why we're doing. That's why we're doing the same stages and segments so much better than the people in 1970 or whatever else. Yeah. That was the rationalization then. But then when all that got busted and disrupted and they did have to start over from scratch clean, lo and behold, mm-hmm. all the times were just barely better than the 1970s times, yeah. which could all be attributed realistically to bike technology at that point. You know, the, the, there has been a, a tremendous amount of bike t- technology. I mean, take just place. just drivetrain efficiency alone. Well, in in aerodynamics, and you the, know, right? So, you know, so weight. So, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So the 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 stage time differences and the speed differences and everything, mm-hmm. even though they were a little bit higher than the 1970s, mm-hmm. it was con- directly attributable to aerodynamic efficiency, drivetrain efficiency, not a stronger rider per se. And modern training programs and hydration and better so, understanding of nutrition. So again, yeah, inc- it's, it's all incremental gains. Incremental yeah. gains at that yeah. point. But now all of a sudden we're back to whoa, we've blown it out of the water. Right. And their excuse is, oh, well the technology's gotten there, the training's gotten there, the nutrition's got but that's the excuses they were giving us in two thousand four. Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um that's why I asked at the very forefront of this, like, are we on the wave of another bust? From my perspective, from an Occam's razor perspective, mm-hmm. the answer is yes, there is enhancement involved somehow or another. So forgive my ignorance, like you always do so graciously. Um, when I win a stage of the tour and I pee in the cup, they take an A sample and a B sample. Is that correct? That's what they used to do. I don't know what the process is they now. They test one immediately, and they hold one... As a control. Uh, as a future test. At, well, as, as, as an... When I say a control, as... If the A gets tainted, then they can utilize the or B. Or if but, it's disputed, or if there's an appeal, or if it yeah. needs to be... But they don't do that because... So they have a... a a list of banned substances, right? And so the way I understand how Lance beat a lot of that system in the old days was they were always ahead. Like, if they weren't testing for this, they were taking this. They always knew what they were testing for, so they were not taking anything that was tested for, or if there wasn't a test developed for it, they were taking it. And so they they were staying off the radar in that realm. But how... I, I, I Floyd, huh? How Floyd got caught was well, but um, man, I I was telling Paulo about that, like watching that stage, watching him just take off and it just was, dismantle everybody. It, it was like it was it was the stupidest move ever, because he was so wrecked 
the day before. Yeah, but it was beautiful to watch. It wasn't though, because the whole time it's happening, it's like, oh my god. But it was still. It was so. It, it was, was so still blatantly impressive to watch. crooked. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was so blatantly crooked. And it, I, 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 so Paula's not historically been into the tour, but she watched a couple of stages with me this year. Yeah. And I explained to her, like about. All the doping and all this and Floyd and used to be on Postal and, and all this. And, and then I said, do you remember when we were at Floyd's of Leadville? And she's like, yeah. And I go, that was Floyd Landis. That's his deal. And I said, the crazy thing is he was a Mennonite and got busted for drugs in the tour. This is a guy that never had caffeine, couldn't watch TV and all this. And now he owns a drugstore, like right. a, a legal cannabis store. I was like, that's that's insane. So it was just interesting to me. Yeah, but in best, I I'm gonna guess that um, is it is it cheating if it's not specifically against the rule? That's always been so. That that was kind of um, that was kind of the the discovery U.S. Postal slash justification, rationalization, kind of like what you were talking about. Well, that's not on the list right now, right. so it's not technically cheating I mean, sort of thing. I guess technically it's not cheating, but it's underhanded. You know, I mean, <clears throat> I think cheating would be if you took something and you also took something to screen it, you know, to, to hide it. I mean, let, let's, let's face it. Think about this. If if you're in that realm of cycling, you there's a, a list of stuff that is automatically taking place. Whether it you know you're training X number of hours a week, you're doing protein, you're doing I mean every supplement you can possibly take. You're doing proper recovery. You're probably you know you're hydrating, whether that includes IVs or whatever. You're, I mean, there's just this list of stuff that is, it's just a given. Sure. Right? Sure. And so when you think about naturally talented athletes that are in that, that mindset that do everything they possibly can, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're on that world level and they're still mid-pack. They're looking at the guys that finish above them going, what are these guys doing that I'm not? So... If you have aspirations to stand on that podium at the tour, you're going to be doing everything you can. I don't. No, I don't. I, I don't dispute that yeah. at all. Yeah. I, I I don't dispute the. If the top half of the I'm field, not condoning it for the record. Right. I'm just saying. If the you know, if, I mean, from any aspect of life, any profession. Mm-hmm. If you're in a if you're in a corporate environment, and I can speak to this from personal experience, if you're in a corporate environment, where Technically, things are against the rules, mm-hmm. but what gets people promoted, there's no way to accomplish that without breaking, without the rules. breaking yeah. those rules. Yeah, and the people that set those rules know that's the. It's like there is no way that this person is going to sell X number of widgets. Yeah, without incentivizing doing some sort yeah. of shady stuff yeah there's there, it's physically impossible yeah. to call that many people and knock on that many doors to sell as many widgets but this person sold 200 widgets when 
math says there's no way they should be able to sell more than a hundred. Right. Well, let's give that guy the sales manager job because he knows how to sell two hundred widgets. Yeah. That all of society works that way. So what you know, for people to be super judgmental about some mid pack Tour de France rider that wants to be at the front of the pack doing what everyone else at the front of the pack well if you're if you're if you're gonna blast that guy for doing that are you blasting yourself for cutting the corners at work so you can advance your position there yeah i'm not i'm not saying good bad or indifferent i'm not either i'm saying that's the way society works in general it's a chicken and egg scenario right like like somebody has to dip their toe in there and be the person that everybody else is striving to be i i don't i'm sure it happens and i'm sure it has happened where there's scenarios where the strongest person is on everything legal and not even doing anything underhanded and people have to take PEDs in order to to beat that person. But I think more than likely the Man, scenario maybe. is I mean I That's I, why I'm saying it's chicken egg. I I, I don't think I'll be honest with you, I don't think so, to be honest with you. I don't there's I'm ve- saying that's the least likely yeah, scenario. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's an extremely unlikely. But yeah. I mean that was the that was the big excuse uh for the Lance apologists for years. It's like, "Oh no, he because he had those those cancer treatments that that that, that just made his blood oxygenase, oxygenization oxygenation that Ox- much more efficient yeah. or whatever else. Uh, no, he had a supersized heart to make up for the testicle he lost or whatever. You know. And I was I was super conflicted for so long because I loved watching Lance, and then I was I, I don't know why, but I took it personal when because I had made excuses for him for years and and was so enthusiastic like most american cyclists were and then when that whole thing came to a head i felt betrayed you know i I, I literally felt took it personally a lot of people did and but i've I've resolved all those feelings i don't have any i don't harbor any anger or resentment any longer maybe maybe it's just kevin's cynical self that he always is i mean from the because i mean i didn't start getting into she's oh Sorry, Luna. You can't be on lo- the mic. Lo- love you, Luna, but um, I didn't start getting into cycling until I think Lance was at least two or three tours deep in his wins. Yeah. Um, so I, I did. I did not come from the the bike racing background. I wasn't familiar with all of that and how things worked. Yeah. But just from a couple years of me getting into it and training up and just trying to race Dorber races and mm-hmm. seeing the progression there, um, I had a conversation with my dad one time and he, he, he was, you know, he was like, because it was obvious, he, he, he was wanting Lance to be genuine and yeah. wanting it to be real. I think we all did. Every, no, I get it. But he... he my cynicism comes yeah. from my dad. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, you know, let's let's be grounded in reality perspective on things, and that's why he was asking me. He's, you know, he's like, I, he, it was obvious to him. It's like that just doesn't add up. That doesn't seem realistic. So he wanted my perspective. Yeah. Just having some cycling and background and and, and training background and uh, and I mean back. 2004 2005 i was like there's 
there's no way. He's juice in one way or another. But I also said at that time, as is everybody else in, in, in the Peloton. Yeah. There's no way th- those guys as a whole are, do- right. are doing what they're doing with yeah, that. Because he didn't land us every stage, you know? Right. I mean, it was obviously, you know, there was contention there. It wasn't like he was just a standout lone person. just Or he going was off smart and, enough to sandbag it just the right that's way. That's fair, too. But I think the media painted it, at least in that time, oh. as if he was the only one that was juicing. But then, one of the years that they went back and stripped, when they went back and stripped him of, I think, his final win, they had to go back like 19 places before they could find a clean specimen. The, about to say, they did. Uh, I, if I'm recalling that correctly, please so feel free to I, tell me if I'm not. But I. I think it's fair to say that Lance and the Discovery team uh, were the were they were the Tiger Woods the, of cycling. The, they they were they they were the most competitive at uh, at physiological technology. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I and I and I don't say that to take anything away from Lance. From what he was able to do as an athlete, yeah. because he he, had, I'm not saying that everybody was doing it because he was doing it. More than likely, he was doing it because everyone else was doing it. That he started mixing it up with in the '90s, and and make no mistake, it was still entertaining as it, hell. It to was, watch. and I was. I went it back is. and watched a couple of those state those uh, tours. And still, so fun to watch, especially when I think, he's trading punches with Jan Ulrich. And so that, so that's so that's where I, I I have no judgment on PEDs or anything like that. From if you, I'm fine with that. If that's what puts on a better show, mm-hmm. and you're willing to do that to your body, that's fine. I have no I have no issue with it. But I'm more about the level playing field sort yeah. of thing. So if you're doing this. And the deceit. Um, That's the other part, you know? So, back in the day, when I was a super-duper motorsports fan, mm-hmm. my my actual favorite races to watch were the kind of the all-star races they used to call the IROC series. Are you mm-hmm. familiar with that one? Yeah. So, basically, they would take the all-stars from NASCAR, the all-stars from CART, uh, the all-stars from NHRA drag racing mm-hmm. and usually it'd be on a big NASCAR weekend and they'd put them all in identically prepared Camaros, mm-hmm. exactly the same car. Yeah. And it was, ju- it was a race of drivers, the drivers mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah. Those were my favorite races. Yeah. And obviously some tracks, some drivers were stronger than others and things like that, but nobody won based on their car. It was legendarily. Okay. Sensing a little foreshadowing here. No, no. Oh, okay. I'm just saying. I thought you were going to tell me somebody removed a restrictor plate no, off the old no. Red Dragon. Uh, I mean, I'm I, I'm sure somebody along the way tried to put titanium lug nuts on there to shave five grams or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm sure stuff like that happened. But it wasn't like at the NASCAR level where cheating was a wink, wink. That was part of the competition in NASCAR in just real, realistically, up until just the last four or five NASCAR years, NASCAR was bred from criminals. What do you expect? That's I, no, like, I, that's my point. That's my point. It's like getting mad at so, Australians. <laughs> getting mad at Daryl Waltrip for 
finding a way to sneak an extra gallon and a half of gasoline into his car. Yeah. That's, that was understood as being part of the sport. You don't get mad at him then. I, along it, those lines, I don't get mad at the old Tour de France riders for juicing because that it was basically generally accepted not by the masses, but it was understood and accepted in the sport. It was understood and accepted by the sanctioning body. They knew what was going on. That's why they played with their A and B samples and all that. Well, I mean, obviously. And that's why they let them know, okay, here's the rules that are coming out next year in our banned substance list, and this will be. Here's a thought process uh, that that I'm, I hadn't entertained before, and you kind of led me to, but, you know, the French have been the sanctioning body for the tour, obviously, uh, forever, and when Lance started winning and showing up, um, he'd been, he was the first American since Le Mans to actually even be on anybody's radar. But with, you know, cycling be a lot more prominent at that point, you know, they probably turned a blind eye at first and then he got too blatant about it because the, the, they, they were the ones that were like, we are going to find, we're going to, we're going to nail you to the cross. My perception was and that's all it is yeah so this is just man just a throwing it out of my ass opinion yeah um the perception i was under was that lance wore out his welcome that's what i'm, I'm saying and the same they, thing. yeah i don't know that they busted him per se but where they used to there was i don't know where the line was yeah. I don't know where the line was. I don't but think he knew where the line was either. No, when I, where I say they, they, the Tiger Woods analogy. Mm -hmm. Tiger Woods lifted the golf tide tremendously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lance Armstrong lifted the cycling tide tremendously. Mm -hmm. So everybody involved in the industry, in, and I'm not talking the sport, everybody involved in the industry mm -hmm. was very supportive of that because everybody was benefiting from it. Yeah. Um, High tide raises all boats. Yes. Yeah. Or whatever, whatever how that goes. And so my perception is the organizers were okay with Lance drawing in this much more. Um, but then he got too greedy. They're like, come on, dude. Five in a row, four in a what, row. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I yeah. don't know where the, was the line when he had four. Right. My, my guess is once he had three, they're like, okay. Time for yeah. you to yeah. let somebody else yeah. be, you know, let, let's, let's let somebody that's German <laughs> be at the top. And then, yeah, he, but he wouldn't be Lance if he weren't that focused on being yeah. number one sort of thing. So, so if he wasn't so dominant, possibly it could have went on longer. I think it w we would still be in the midst of it. I hadn't entertained that thought process before, but it seems very, very valid, but it was still so fun to watch. I mean, in, in, I think along with a lot of other Americans, I was at so, least self-delusional. Along, along those lines, um, hmm, because where we started this tangent, of, we're so good at tangents. <laughs> um, this year's crop of riders um so many young kids that are going to come into their own but i was sad to see cavendish go 
Uh, I, I mean, yeah, we'll save that for a different conversation too. Nothing against Cav. Nothing. Yeah. I'm not. I don't want it to sound that way. But I, th I thought that was kind of a manufactured deal too. Um, the. Um, no, I, I. You can't just glance over that. How is that manufactured? He wrecked and broke his collarbone. No, that part wasn't manufactured. Oh. The man, the manufactured part was him being in this year's tour and the hype around him getting that one more stage win. Oh, and he barely got nosed out on uh, whatever stage it was. And I don't, I don't dispute that. I, I think, th I think the main takeaway is you don't fuck with the Mercs. I think Eddie said, "You know what? You're going to see what the tarmac feels like." Ding. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, mean, and so that was, and that was one of the things that, uh, and this is why I didn't want to go down this tangent, but now, yeah. we're, now we're going there. So the, I was concerned that Cavendish was going to get the record just from a ratings perspective, from a feel good perspective where basically he, at some point when it was a stage, it didn't really matter. Oh, you thought that the field was going to relent just to... Or the whoever whoever was in the sprint cap. If, if it was down to three guys for the sprint yeah. and two of them had already won a stage, yeah. all right, let the old man get yeah. this one and get his record. I, I would have... That would have been really... I would have well, not it, enjoyed seeing it that. Wouldn't have yeah. been, it wouldn't have been obvious, though. Yeah. They, it would have looked like it was a close finish. They're, they're pros. They know how yeah. to make that thing. Trust me. Hmm. Very well, his second place might have been close to that much playing, too. It may not yeah. have really been that close sort hmm. of thing. Might have been... And I, who was it that won that stage? I can't even remember. Was that... Um, I can't remember now. Pet is it Pedersen? No, he was. I can't. I, I can't remember. I can't remember who it was either. But anyway, you, we're, we both remember the finish. Yeah. We both remember. But was it really that close, or did that guy know he had the gap enough? And Cavendish just went too early. He he got greedy. What well, did he go too early? Because it was. And that's what I'm saying. No, he, he went too early. He went too early, yes, because he knew that was his only chance to pull it off. Oh, no, there were, there were plenty of sprint stages left. I, no, I think he was just trying to get it so again, he could relax. Yeah. Again, he probably knew he wasn't strong enough to beat those guys in a traditional sprint. He had to try to get a jump on a particular sprint. Still one of the best sprinters in the pack. I sure. Mean, top top five. Sure, but that's not top one. No, no, no. But you just have to be in the right place at the right time. He had, he got screwed on a couple of attempts where he got pinned, and then there was. Ah, see, you're buying into the conspiracy, man. You're buying into <laughs> it. Was all it was all set up. He wasn't really that strong. They just they wanted that storyline. Oh, I don't know. If they I wanted it. that. They needed that. Next story thing you're going to tell me is wrestling's not real. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I'm glad that he wasn't just handed a stage. I, I think that would have sucked. I understand that. that. I think, you know, I think if he hadn't broken his collarbone, there's a good chance he would have been handed a stage. Is mm, what I'm saying. I think there's a really good chance of it. I don't know about. They all would that. have loved to have stretched that story out through. To, they wouldn't have been able to make it to 20, 20 stages. Yeah, but Mark, what, maybe maybe seventeen, eighteen. I think one of those still set up for a traditional sprint, and they would have loved to have stretched it, that storyline out to is this the one that Cavendish can finally yeah. da 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 da. 
Oh, they were definitely playing it. Oh, but, they were playing it. Playing the yeah. interesting thing, too, is that Cavendish announced before the tour ever started that this was his final tour. I understand that. That's so, my point. That was That's all part. And that, that was my point of it's actually surprising he got into the tour. He should. Got, he won two stages last year, didn't he? He got he didn't have a team until, like, what, three weeks before the tour? Yeah, but didn't he win two stages last year? I don't know that. I don't know that. You're gonna make me look because I didn't. Wa- I didn't watch last year's at all. I thought he was an also ran last year, but I didn't watch last year's at all. Can't remember why something, something was in the mix that I didn't see any of the tour last year, and which I think was the only year I haven't watched any of it. I thought, I, man, I thought, I thought Cavendish had been. Struggling may not be the word, but well below form for a couple, three years. But maybe I'm misremembering. Oh, you're right. Cavendish was left off the quick step team for Tour de France in a controversial decision by team manager Patrick, however you say his name. So he didn't get a shot to break Merckx's record. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Maybe it was 21. Because they didn't, they didn't have a tour in 2020, did they? Because no, they did. It was a delayed tour, maybe. Maybe right. Hmm. I can't. I, Either way, sorry. Anyway, that's not a good tangent. Um, a lot of dead ends there. Lot, lots, lot. Well, we're proving how much we really are idiots. No, I don't need to prove it anymore. <laughs> All right, so we are two hours, three oh, minutes, geez. and twenty. Four seconds into this, uh, I think it's time to say goodbye. How about you? Yeah, let's sign off. We didn't talk about anything either. 